0: Welcome to What is California, a new podcast featuring conversations with notable Californians in a quest to understand the Golden State. I'm your host, Stu Van Aersdale. On this episode, we welcome Michael Tubbs, Mayor Michael Tubbs, former mayor of Stockton, California, and the author of an upcoming memoir called The Deeper the Roots, a memoir of hope and home. That book is not out until November, but Mayor Tubbs does read an excerpt from it here today on the show, which is pretty exciting, so stay tuned. Mayor Tubbs and I talked about his upbringing in Stockton. We talked about some of the quirks and the challenges that he faced as a young person in that city, and we also talked about how he went to Stanford and eventually became the youngest city council member ever elected in Stockton, and of course, famously, the youngest mayor ever elected to lead a large American city. At 26, he was elected mayor of Stockton. And we talked about the controversial end to his term in 2020 when he was voted out of office after a pretty significant and quite ugly misinformation campaign. Today, Michael Tubbs is a special economic advisor to Governor Gavin Newsom, and he has moved from Stockton to Los Angeles with his wife Anna and their two children, one of whom was just born recently. So congrats to him, congrats to his wife, and of course, best of luck to them on their new chapter. We will get to Mayor Tubbs in just a second. Before we do, I just want to thank you again for all of your listenership and support as this podcast kind of gets off the ground. As you probably know by now, if you've been listening a while, we have a newsletter via Substack. It's at whatiscalifornia.substack.com. And what's been fun is watching the subscriptions grow for that. It's free, you can sign up today at no cost and every Thursday you'll get this podcast delivered straight into your inbox. Every Friday you'll get a collection of what I call weekend reads. It kind of goes back and forth, like weekend links, weekend reads, I'm not sure. They're not all reads. They're not just stuff you need to sit down and read. For example, last week we featured a video about the queer surf community in the Bay Area, which was really cool. We've also featured podcast links to other shows. And yes, of course, we feature both short reads, long reads, stuff that's really interesting about everything from wildlife to wildfires. We try not to take it too seriously. We try not to lard it up with a bunch of heavy-duty politics talk. I really just want to feature stuff that gets us a little bit closer to the answer of that fundamental question, what is California? So it may be just you know a link to a quick story. It may be a link to a bunch of stories that kind of around the same topic. And again, those videos, podcasts, whatever it is, it just answers that question and things a little more critically. And we try to have a little bit of fun with it. We've had stories in there about everything from native plants and where to find those ahead of fall planting season to Inside Out Architecture by the great Austrian architect, Richard Neutra. Last week's installment featured a really cool story about escaramuzas who are women equestrians keeping alive Mexican horse riding traditions in the Central Valley. There was also a link in there about how California cannabis is going to be judged at the next California State Fair. Make sure you uh, keep those judges tables next to the food trucks, I guess. And something else that was in last week's installment of the newsletter that I hadn't heard about is that Fresno is one of California's hottest housing markets. It's kind of insane. And we go into the reasons for that as well and link out to all the different sources of all these different stories that help us, again, get a little closer to the answer of that question, what is California? So I hope you'll consider subscribing. It's at whatiscalifornia.substack.com. Again, it's free and you will receive the podcast and the weekend links every Thursday and Friday, respectively. I will go ahead and put that in the show notes for your reference. So I uh, hope to see you there. All right, so let's go ahead and get back to Michael Tubbs, former mayor of Stockton. Mayor Tubbs has a book coming out in November. It's called *The Deeper the Roots: A Memoir of Hope and Home* from Flatiron Books. He's going to read an excerpt of it in just a second for you. But I read the book and it's it's pretty great. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff about Michael Tubbs that. I think we've all seen and heard. You know, there's that documentary that came out on HBO a while back called Stockton on My Mind. There is a series of episodes of the podcast Invisibilia called The Chaos Machine that chronicles the unraveling of Michael Tubbs's 2020 mayoral reelection, due in large part to the 209 Times, a kind of questionable news publication that emerged from Stockton and helped unseat. Mayor Tubbs last year. The new book does probe into these uh, topics, but it also looks a lot closer at Michael's family, whether it's the kind of three moms that he has, his mother, his aunt, his grandmother in Stockton who helped raise him, whether it's his father who was incarcerated and how that impacted him as a young person in Stockton growing up, a young black man trying to find his way in that city and in American life. There are also these really cool anecdotes about when Michael Tubbs wins the Alice Walker essay contest and goes to Alice Walker's house and gets a handwritten letter of recommendation from the author of The Color Purple as he's beginning to apply for colleges. Of course, he talks about being at Stanford. He talks about his time at the Obama White House. He talks about Oprah. And he also talks about his first time knocking on a door campaigning for city council. And how that humbling experience of starting from nothing grew into leading a town that had filed for bankruptcy in 2012 but once upon a time was one of California's largest cities and that change in fortune from one of California's largest most bustling metropolises to a city battling bankruptcy and poverty and crime and a generally pretty low estimation both within the state and around the country now Here's the thing. You don't necessarily need to take Michael Tubbs's word for what he writes in the book about, you know, the, the transition from Mayor Silva to Mayor Tubbs to believe that he was the right mayor, for that city at that time. The data are in on programs like the Stockton Economic Empowerment Demonstration, which was the universal basic income pilot program that Mayor Tubbs launched in Stockton, uh, which gave $500 to a select number, randomly chosen Stockton residents, that program worked. It helped those residents, it helped their families, and it helped Stockton by extension. You know, we can agree or disagree about universal basic income as a concept, and we can, agree or disagree about whether or not cities or municipalities or states or countries, for that matter, should participate in universal basic income. But this particular program in Stockton was no risk. It was paid for with outside funding. And so to see that money come into Stockton, to see it actually help people, it was intended to help, seems like everybody won. Mayor Tubbs and I will talk about this program and its impact. Now, because this interview was taped just before Mayor Tubbs went on family leave, right before uh, his wife had their second child in mid-August, this is going to have a little bit of discussion about the recall election and what leaders like Gavin Newsom, among others, should take seriously about these threats as they loom on the horizons. Because if anyone knows about underestimating political threats, it is Michael Tubbs, and he is candid about that. He's candid about what he missed in his own re-election campaign. He's candid about what other elected leaders should watch out for and what communities, cities, and by extension, the state of California should be on the lookout for as misinformation and malcontents lurk in the shadows. Anyway, let's go ahead and get on with it. This is me with Mayor Michael Tubbs. I hope you enjoy Mayor Michael Tubbs, welcome to What Is California? It's so good to have you here. If you wouldn't mind, I'd love it if you started by reading an excerpt from your forthcoming book, The Deeper the Roots, A Memoir of Hope and Home, available November 16th from Flatiron Books. Take it away.
1: On November 8th, 2016, I received 70% of the vote to become mayor of Stockton. At 26 years old, four years out of college, eight years out of high school, I was the youngest person in the United States ever to be elected mayor of a city of over 100,000. And I was Stockton's first black mayor. I made Elbert Holman my vice mayor, as I promised I would. That same night, Lang Luntow was elected the youngest member of Stockton school board, the first out gay man to win office in the San Joaquin Valley. The night was one of great hope for the city even as the news broke that the country had taken a huge step backward with the election of Donald Trump. I refused to let Trump's victory that same night overshadow what we had accomplished together. In fact, it made me believe only more fervently that Stockton was poised to be an example to the nation, an example of progress even when perfection seemed distant. At my swearing in, I said, During the past four years, I've met countless people both here and nationally who are disillusioned with government. People who believe government far too often gets in the way, is not responsive to citizens, does not care about their day-to-day realities, and that those who are making decisions on their behalf don't have their best interests at heart. These beliefs have given rise to a lack of faith in the ability of government to do anything well. Tonight represents a rejection of that notion. A reinvention, if you will, and an invitation to believe again, Stockton, to believe not just in me, but in we. The work I had already begun to do on the Stockton City Council of opening up health clinics, closing liquor stores, and reforming the police department was a good foundation to build on. My next task was to make sure I brought everything I had, all of my experiences, all of my childhood, and all of my neighbors, too, into City Hall with me.
0: That's Mayor Michael Tubbs reading from his forthcoming memoir, The Deeper the Roots, a memoir of hope and home that's available November 16th from Flatiron Books. Mayor, it's so good to see you. Are you still in Stockton these days? I'm not in Stockton. We moved to South Los Angeles. All right. So how's South Los Angeles treating you?
1: It's amazing. I think it's interesting to be in a place where the majority of people think politically the way you think. And that just hasn't been my experience, right? So that's that's been really interesting. Um, it's interesting being in a place that's also incredibly organized in terms of South LA and the intense power building. Um, it's refreshing in some ways to be in a place where at every level of government, from our board of supervisors to um, city council, that there's allies, that there's folks who I we have the same worldview, same vision for equity. L. A. is just interesting, I think, because I have lived in Stockton my whole life. So to be not at home, not at my home, but in a different place where there's so much, so many different types of people, so artists, producers, entertainment, and part of the reason why we end up moving to L. A. is because my wife is an author. And her books being talked about be, being optioned for movies and TVs, et cetera. And we thought it was important in this next phase of our journey to really go deep on storytelling, to go deep on narrative. And we figured LA would be the best place to do that. But I, so I do
0: miss Stockton, but I'm loving LA. So what's your earliest memory of California? Is it in Stockton or is it also elsewhere?
1: Yeah, no, my earliest memory of California is Stockton. And something I mentioned very briefly in the book was literally going to the liquor store around the corner from... Um, our apartment and getting the quarter beef jerkies. They were small, circular silver dollar beef jerkies and get four, getting four of those for a dollar felt, just felt like it just, it always made me happy. Oh, come on I'm like go get you some beef jerky. So that's a California memory. And then also I remember in like fourth grade, we used to have a program. I don't know if they still have it called Valley Days where you dress up like you're in the 1860s and you like make butter and you like do all these things like you're on the farm. I Remember that was so interesting because it was hard to find the you had to dress up, so we had to find the clothes to wear for Valley Days and just learn so much about kind of California before it was as industrialized as it is today.
0: How'd you dress up?
1: My mom found like some blue jean thing we rolled up and like some pants. <laughs> it, it, looked, it I probably dressed up like a hipster looks now, but in the mid 90s, it wasn't that was like. Valley days, I was cowboy stuff, and I had a little um, plaid shirt tied around my
0: waist. <laughs> you're both a pioneer in the historical sense and a pioneer in the fashion sense. You know, you're way ahead of the game. Yeah, I was
1: I a was precursor to the hipsters.
0: How have California's people and culture impacted or influenced who you are? Oh,
1: man. Well, I am a cow, Cali- I am the biggest California cheerleader. Um, uh, just because I'm a California boy, Through and through, I think I lived in. Cape Town for three months and D.C. for three months. But other than that, every other month of my life I've spent in California. So California, I think, has really influenced my worldview, my outlook, my sense of optimism, my sense of what's possible. I think sort of just the diversity, being growing up in Stockton, the most diverse city and listening to Suavemente, one song, and then hyphy music, the next song at every party. And that just being part of growing up, um, eating everyone's food having to seek temple around the corner from, from, from the house, like all those experiences, my neighbors being refugees from from Guam, and then my other neighbors being from Pakistan, and then across the street, some white folks, and two houses down, some Latino folks, like it was just diversity and just being very comfortable with difference and diversity, I think, comes directly of being in California. I think also this idea of sort of innovation, of thinking new, of of being bold, of not having possibilities. I think that's part of the Disneyland, Silicon Valley, Stanford, California ethos. I think that's something that has really influenced me, just the sense that we can lead, we should lead, we can create the future. Um, and, And I think sort of particularly being from Central California, just that grittiness, that sort of underdog mentality, that sort of chip on the shoulder, I think I also big parts of who I'm becoming. And then my mom, my aunts, my grandmother, my mentors. Like California is really not the world, but it's a huge, not even a microcosm. Whatever is between the whole thing and the microcosm, that's where California is. And I'm just so thankful to have been born here um, and to have kind of still
0: being here. What about geography? Like how have place or certain landscapes or terrain or even buildings influenced or impacted you and who you are?
1: Yeah. Stockton, I think, is a representative of where California intersects or where California collides, right? Because you have I-5 and 99 that intersect in Stockton. But you also have this tension between rural and agricultural and urban. I remember telling people that's from Stockton. Everyone thought it was like a, a community with a lot of farms. And I was like, I ain't never seen no farm. And Stockton, is it's, it's a city with, with city issues, but with a very agricultural background, right? So I think that that place has really influenced me and giving me an appreciation for sort of solid earth type folks, folks who may not have gone to college, folks who may not um, work in tech or in the creative economy but are still smart, still important, still matter. Um, I think the absence of a building actually, the fact that Stockton's the largest city in the state without a CSU has also been a huge sort of motivating impact for me and I also think our multitude of prisons, many of which my dad has been incarcerated and some of my classmates and some of my mentees and some of my former students and sort of those sort of buildings, I think, have really shaped my desire for more opportunity, have really shaped my desire for a reimagining of what public safety can look like. And I've really shaped my desire to create the environment where folks don't have to go to set. San- like, I would always get so frustrated when I was elected when I would I was, I was always invited to go to San Quentin like once a month there was like a program in San Quentin it was like the Commonwealth Club and I remember being so and I would meet folks from Stockton in San Quentin and in San Quentin versus at home but in San Quentin that's where they discovered they could code because there was coding classes there in a way that weren't available to them outside. How bizarre was that in San Quentin they learned they could write. they like storytelling because there was an opportunity for that there. So I think the the prison system in the state in the the prisons have also sort of been a huge part of shaping who I am.
0: In reading your book, it seems to me that your sense of Stockton's history is shaped by a very clear rise and fall. Over 100 years as a big thriving city in the late 19th, early to mid 20th century, which was brought low in the latter half of the 20th century by poverty racism, crime, and culminating in this century in 2012 with bankruptcy. And then of course, you're elected soon after. We'll talk about that. When in your life did the scope of Stockton's story, that breadth of the story, first become apparent to you?
1: It became apparent to me after I left Stockton. Not even after I left Stockton. After I left Stockton, came back to Stockton and was on city council. Um, Particularly because, I mean, my family, my grandmother moved to Stockton in, in like the early 70s. White flight was happening, redlining was happening, so that pivot was being made. So in terms of family memory, all the memory was around sort of, they would always say it's never been this bad, but they would never say it was once great. Like, oh, we remember a bunch, like it was always like, it's been a decent place, right? But never like this amazing oasis. Um, But then I started reading and, and, and doing research. There's a, a professor from Stockton named Ron Izetti who wrote this amazing 700 page volume about just the richness of history of Stockton. And I remember the first time was when I was at there was a Maya Angelou library in my neighborhood. I was like, That's interesting. Why do you have a neighborhood named for Maya Angelou? It's because she lived in South Stockton for part of her childhood. And I was like, they didn't teach us that. And then I remember when Dolores Horta, when I was on city council, came to Stockton for the premiere of the Chavez movie. And she was telling me all these stories of the organizing that started in Stockton. So as I became elected and having to talk and really try to boost the morale of the city, that history became very powerful. And I knew about the Sikh temple. I didn't know it was the oldest Sikh temple in North America. I knew Stockton had a lot of Filipino people. I didn't know about Little Manila and that we once had more Filipino people in Stockton than any other place in the world outside the Philippines. Like, so all that history became, I would get in bits and pieces, and I began to put it together and say, like, no, this place is someplace special in our history, in our diversity. That's what really differentiates us.
0: You know, Stockton's Troubles, historically, um, you look at that arc we were just talking about, they're not entirely unique. A lot of Central Valley cities and towns suffer from crises like these. Why do you think that is?
1: I think, yeah, it's correlated to poverty. It's correlated to educational attainment. If you look at, I think of the top 150 least educated cities in this country, Stockton, Bakersfield, Modesto, and I think Fresno, are four of the bottom 10. That's no accident. So I I think that's part of it. I think part of it may be the legacy of exploitation, particularly of, of cheap migrant farm labor and how, when folks were looked at just as a cheap labor force and there was no thought given to the quality of education that labor force children would receive. The the quality. Like I, so I, I think that's part of it. And I think particularly in the case of Central Valley, being so disconnected for some of the economic, the, the, new, eco, the new economy, economic engines. I mean, if we were still in the 1800s, then, yes, the Central Valley would be sort of most prosperous part of the state because of our natural resources, because we're the breadbasket, because we feed people, because of our soil, because of our our agriculture. But this is 2021. It's about the knowledge economy. It's about the creative economy. It's about technology. And those tech centers are incredibly far. And then you have sort of access issues because it takes three hours in traffic to get from Stockton to San Francisco and back. And that's six hours of a 14-hour day or a 12-hour day. And sadly, people do make that commute. But most of the time, not to be an engineer, most of the time not to be a founder, but to do some of the other jobs, like to, to, to work in the restaurants, or, which aren't worse jobs, but they are worse paying. And I think that's part of it as well, This this intersection of poverty. Of that. And also, I mean, the power center of the state is the Bay Area in Southern California. The political power lies there. The priorities are set there which leaves out a whole swath of, of, of the middle um, of the state. And I think just having the lack of real effective political representation also speaks to the divestment, speaks to the lack of an education of, institution of higher learning in Stockton, speaks to sort of how there's just not a lot there besides from like legacy industries that each and every year are becoming more obsolete.
0: Now you are a historical figure in Stockton and really in the state and nationally as Stockton's first black mayor and the youngest mayor ever elected in any large American city. And I know you only just turned 31, but how do you perceive the history that you've made in Stockton or that you were a part of?
1: Yeah, I think part of it is recognizing that there's still much more to be made and hopefully I can still be a part of making it. But it's hard to think about it because it's like, it's just you. Like i I can't help my age, I can't help my race, but I feel very proud, not by the achievement of being like the first or the youngest, but by what we did with that extra pressure, with that extra scrutiny, with that extra opposition, and how sort of, and people hate when I say this, but I really believe this. I would put my record of four years as mayor and four years as council member against any mayor and any council member the city of Stockton has ever had or will ever have. But I will also put my record against sort of the mayor of any city, particularly one that's structured like Stockton and, and feel very confident that I, I don't think there's many that can say that or they were more effective. So I feel very proud because that wasn't the expectation necessarily um, going in for, for a lot of people.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh... Bold claims. So with that said, what is the policy or initiative that you're proudest of from your time as mayor?
1: What's my favorite child? It's like that's akin to the question you're asking me. So sure. I'm give you a couple um, real quick. I think everyone talks about the basic income.
0: You're referring to SEED, Stockton Economic Empowerment Demonstration.
1: Yeah, the Stockton Economic Empowerment Demonstration. My first basic income program ran by a mayor in this country's history. So I'm very proud of that. But I'm also incredibly proud of things that are unsexy. Like when I was on city council, I helped author our reserve policy so that four years later when I became mayor, we actually had a $13 million surplus because I authored a policy which made it so that whenever there's excess money, before we could spend it, we have to put a third of it away for rainy days or 66, no, I think we put 66% away for rainy days and the third we could spend our surplus. So I'm really proud of that. And then lastly, I'm, I'm proud of the Stockton Scholars Program, which is a, a, a scholarship program I started so that every single student who graduates from the largest school district for the next decade is guaranteed a four-year, two-year school scholarship. And I'm proud to work with you on public safety, where we do advanced peace and ceasefire in the Office of Violence Prevention. I helped create as a council member where we reduced homicides by 40% in 2018 and 2019. So very proud of that. Kind of body of work and others, but kinds of my most the things I most most am proud of. I think it's definitely that that constellation.
0: What did you still have on your to do list when your mayoral term ended? Oh
1: man, we had a whole whole thing. Before I left, I spent a lot of time bringing in a data center that's powered by water. Thinking of data centers as sort of the next fulcrum of economic development, so it's going to be a whole tech access, opportunity thing there. Uh, was working on getting affordable fiber to the city so that we would just be a Wi-Fi full city. Um, was working on sort of downtown revitalization, had a couple state land projects to build workforce and affordable housing. Also was looking towards building a teacher's village and to make Stockton, San County, the hub for teacher training and for teachers to bolster the education levels. Cause the one place in the state where teachers can actually afford to buy a house on a salary. We just received a big grant from the state on climate justice through TCC. So it's gonna really deepen that work and make Stockton the hub of the green economy and, and the place where everyone goes for, for workers in, in the green economy. And then we finally, it took me three years. When I started as mayor, our budget for homelessness was zero dollars. It took some years, but I got to $6 million from the state. And really I wanted to do a lot more project home key projects and not just build tents and build shelters, temporary housing, which is important, but really use that resources to buy more permanent supportive housing. And also we're going to do a housing trust because Stockton doesn't have an affordable housing trust. So there's no place for developers to go in terms of partnering with the government to make these affordable projects pencil out, which is why Stockton also has the fastest rising rent market in, in the state or had it, um, a couple years ago so so stuff around that and then lastly there was a golf course with like 125 acres and i really want to it was no longer a golf course so i really want to reimagine that space and kind of make it sort of the green access hub for the community where kids could go to play where it was just a nice amenities like some of the amenities i see like in griffith park in la for example or And it could have been like Stockton's own kind of central park in the south part of the city. So a lot of stuff.
0: (laughs) To hear you describe these, it sounds like you still have plans to develop or enact or pursue these initiatives. Do you intend to go back to Stockton and run for mayor again?
1: I have no intention. I'm a million percent committed to the fact that I was blessed to serve eight years in local government. And that was enough time. Everything happens for a reason. So... I won't preclude running for office again, but I will preclude running for mayor of Stockton again, but I've enjoyed enjoyed my four years. Got it. But no, I think I talk about it because I, I mean, I started a foundation, I'm the chair of the Reinvent Stockton Foundation, which is the largest foundation in the city. So there's there, I mean, so many of the folks who are elected still reach out to me. Many of the administrators still reach out to me. I, I just helped, like I, I just helped a company with a permitting issue that i was trying to do some new things in 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 in, in tech um in stockton so yeah i i i, I mean it's home so i'm always going to be rooting for a success i'm always going to be interested and invested in us and for things that kind of intersect with the work i'm currently doing will always be supportive but no intention of running for american
0: you've written in your book and you've commented publicly that you thought voters would see through disinformation and identify fake news that a tabloid site was spreading about you and your administration as you ran for re-election in 2020 and even before that in retrospect that didn't happen and you admit that quote you were blind to what the site knew well that civic illiteracy racism and a distrust of government can make even the most blatant lies true enough to cloud perceptions of progress When did you realize the scale of this problem, this existential danger, and how did you react when you did?
1: Part of what I did wrong was I didn't take the threat seriously because my whole time, even though though I was on city council, there were always lies being spread about me, that I didn't work, that I lived at home with my mom, that Lang was my lover and not my best friend, that... Anna was a cover for me, and Lynch. I lived in Palo Alto. There was always these like weird lies about me, but they were confined to like the corners of sad people. So I figured that it would be similar this time. And I just, because I'm not on Facebook, my staff didn't my Facebook. So I really underestimated the way in which it spread and the way it wasn't just that, it was that site in the folklore, but the network with the, Stopped in crimes and news page site that people watch in the, in the network with next door groups. Like, I, I just really did not think, cause I didn't find the folks running the site to be that. I mean, look at the, the writing. I, I figured they weren't that smart. So I underestimated how sophisticated and intentional the operation was, which is my fault. You never you should. So, for folks listening, whenever you're in a position of power or a position of conflict, take every threat seriously. Don't take anything for granted. I realized it was a bit of a problem during the, after the primary where I, when I didn't win outright, but there was nine people running got 42%. I was like, uh, I thought it'd be close to 45, 46. So that worried me a little bit. So we did a focus group and then a word map came out and the, the the biggest words were like diametrically opposed. It was like smart, great leader for people who are supportive and corrupt, criminal, lazy, doesn't live here. Arrogant for the folks that for the folks that weren't supportive, and I was like, well, where where are they getting that? Like the, the corrupt criminal, like where's this coming from? I said it has to be coming from the stupid Facebook group. And I was like, oh, and then I talked to some of my volunteers who were on the doors. And they're like, yeah, like we spent hours arguing with people that you didn't steal the homeless money. Yeah, because because part of it was, and that's where the civic illiteracy comes in, is that we would make an announcement, which is like you're supposed to do as mayor. Look, you guys, we had zero dollars. Now we are going to get six million dollars from the state to deal with homelessness. That is not in the bank. It, it has to come. And then once it comes, it takes time to give it out. because We have to go through a process because we're government. But like, people will just hear that and be like, well, I see a homeless person down the street. Where's the money? He must be stealing it. It's like, so now it's interesting because now all these things are opening up. Navigation centers, this and that were all things i funded but we couldn't cut the ribbon because it takes time to build right and i think this folks didn't understand the process and i wish i would have realized that because i would have really gone on instagram and be like hey you guys look i made this announcement that means not tomorrow but eventually um and then i also think some things were slowed down because of the pandemic right so like yes we thought this would be open in 2020 but the whole world shut down in 2020. So I, not because I stole money, but because there's a virus called COVID. So that means things like everything else in your life, things are going to be pushed back. And I think these folks didn't understand it, didn't want to understand it. And they really fe- they really used that civic illiteracy to have people think, well, like, I don't see it working. He must have stole it.
0: So you're now an economic advisor for Governor Gavin Newsom. What kind of work does an economic advisor do for Governor Newsom right about now?
1: <laughs> like today? Sure. D- a day in the life. So I'm a special advisor. And so I really spend a lot of time on the American Rescue Plan and thinking about what's the highest and best use of those dollars. And so the baby bonds, I mean, the childhood savings accounts, the money for that, um, the money for the guaranteed income programs, um, money for summer youth jobs. Those were sort of the three things. I. Thought about, wrote memos on, really pushed and advocated for. And then once every other week, we have a Council of Economic Advisors meeting, which is like a bunch of very smart economists and PhDs from universities and me, and the head of the GO-Biz go, go Biz and the Lieutenant Governor. And we talk about different economic issues, about sort of trend lines, where should we focus on, which programs work, which programs don't. Um, and then it's really just being, helping, working with departments on implementation. So I'm being a dead horse, but in terms of Central Valley, thinking through all these investments we're making in the Central Valley and how do you make sure they go to people? So, I mean, there's no, really no typical day. Some days are busier than others, but I mean, I do that. I also run Mayors for a Guaranteed Income, a network of 60 mayors trying guaranteed income programs across the country. Being special advisors is an incredible honor.
0: Are you active in the Vote No campaign?
1: I, I would say so. I, I try my best to Raise awareness, I love to tweet um, on calls with elected officials, get on the campaign staff's nerve, I'm sure, with my amount of questions and challenges, but it's just so important to protect the progress that we've made. And again, I say that as someone who last year, the vast majority of people would have said there's no way he'll lose re-election. Like, some people may hate him and they may lie, but there's no way he'll lose and I lost and, and and me losing wasn't the tragedy it's what's happened to the city since and what is going to what, what what continues to happen right and i think in the same way for the state we have to be vigilant and progress comes at a price is what was one of the biggest lessons i learned that progress you have to pay for something and sometimes it, it comes at a, at a price and you have to fight so i just hope that we internalize that lesson as a state and make sure that and that and progress is also not perfection. So the argument isn't that this administration is perfect. No administration is. But it is about this administration making progress, that we're in the midst of a crisis. And we don't have time to put reality TV stars in charge of the fifth largest economy in the world. It's asinine and crazy to me, frankly.
0: There's a passage in your book where you're finishing up at Stanford back in 2012, and you're about to knock on your first door as a candidate campaigning for Stockton City Council. How would you, Michael Tubbs, today in 2021, advise or guide or counsel that Michael Tubbs in 2012, almost a decade before? What would you say to him?
1: When it was interesting, I would actually say that in many ways that Michael would probably have more to share with Michael now, if, if that makes sense. How so? I had such a beginner's mindset then. I had never worked on a campaign before. I had never been in the office before. I had just a hopeful naivety and a willingness to engage. I wasn't yet tired. Knocking on the door didn't feel like, okay, what if this person wants to hurt me, right? Like, cause I would get threats. Like what if this person Like there was none of that. It was like I'm gonna the the person and there was no targeting. It wasn't on my voter list. It was like some random door in the neighborhood I wanted to organize. Um, So I think that was helpful. But what I would tell myself is that as much as you can, particularly when you're in office, especially the higher your position is or the higher your profile is. Be intentional and find ways to be in, common, in conversation with quote unquote normal people who aren't on staff, who aren't part of the political circus, but who are just living their lives. Because they have the interesting insights and you learn from them sort of how people are experiencing the city. It's hard to carve out that time. I would also tell myself, not that I needed to hear this, but I'm so glad I did. So I'll just remind myself that you're in office to do something, not to be something. And use that as your north star, so you're always thinking about what can I do, not what can I be. Because if your thought about is it about what you can be, that will actually limit what you do with the opportunity you have. But if your thoughts about what you do, it may cost you being the same title you have, but it will still allow you to always know what you're working on. So regardless of a title, you're still focused on the same set of issues or, or, or same ideals.
0: Meanwhile, you and your wife, Anna are preparing to welcome your second child together as we record this. Imagine your kids hearing this, hearing you a decade from now. What would you want them to know about who you are, what you're doing, and what you want for them?
1: Wow, I, I think about this all the time. I, I want them to know that their father was imperfect, but he was furiously in love with the ideas of dignity for all people with notions of justice, with opportunity, and really like took Jesus at his word when he said, love your neighbor like you love yourself, or as you do doing the least of these, you do unto to me. Um, and that he found ways to always use his platform and his privileges to put purpose to it. Um, and that he was really cool.
0: <laughs> you mentioned earlier you haven't spent a ton of time outside California, but nevertheless, what do people outside California, as you've encountered it, most misunderstand about the state?
1: I think people misunderstand how folks in California are no different than folks outside of California, that we care about the same things. We believe in working. We believe in people earning. We believe in family values. Some of us do go to church, and some of us find church in community with our friends. We're not snobbish. We, we don't think we're better than other people. Um, we just happen to have great weather, great beaches. Legalized cannabis, um, Hollywood, Silicon Valley, all things good. <laughs> Yosemite, like we just have, we, we're blessed with the abundance of human capital and natural resources, but we don't take that lightly. We understand how lucky we are to live in California.
0: And we're just like anybody else. Yeah.
1: Just with a better place to live.
0: We end every episode with the same question for all guests. Who is your favorite Californian, past or present, and why? Oh.
1: Man, I'm going to have to go with Reverend James Lawson, or Reverend Jim Lawson, um, because he is an unsung hero. He's like 92 years old right now, lives in South LA, Um, but he has been at the forefront of every major movement for change in this country since he was a divinity student at Vanderbilt. He like taught and mentored the Nashville students. He... Um, was a big part of the civil rights movement and Southern Christian Leadership Conference. He did worker union organizing in Los Angeles. He is the kindest, most principled person I've ever met, and a huge inspiration. So he's definitely my favorite California
0: mayor, Michael Tubbs. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And that is the show. Mayor Michael Tubbs. What a guy. Thank you very much for being here, Mayor Tubbs. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in once again. This is episode five. We have been through five of these things. A nice round number. Nice milestone number. Episode five of What is California. Couldn't have done it without you. Appreciate you so much. What is California is produced, edited, and hosted by me, Stu Van Ayersdale. The theme music is by Sounds Supreme. You can follow us on Twitter, at WhatCalifornia. You can subscribe to our newsletter via Substack at whatiscalifornia.substack.com. Once again, as I noted in the beginning of this episode, that'll get you a podcast download every Thursday and a nice round of weekend reads every Friday and anything else I feel like sending you during the week, I hope you'll subscribe there. You can support What Is California on Patreon at patreon.com slash whatiscalifornia. You want to chip in a few shackles to keep the cloud servers going and our headquarters cat, Fed. If you want to email any comments, questions, suggestions, love letters, hate mail, you name it, you can find me at hello at whatiscalifornia.com. I hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked What is California, please consider rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find us. So thank you in advance. That's going to do it until next week. Remember, as always, keep your eye on the bear.